You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. This is Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing how to update your dental team on the most current guidance and best practices from OSHA and the CDC for safely practicing during the COVID-19 pandemic period. We will also highlight ways to practice efficiently and profitably while still maintaining a high degree of safety for your patients and your employees. Our guest is Dr. Carson Carpenter, a practicing dentist who serves as president of Compliance Training Partners. He is an OSHA-approved trainer who has, for over 25 years, designed educational programs to bring dental and medical facilities into compliance with governmental regulations, including OSHA, HIPAA, and infection control. Dr. Carpenter, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Well, Phil, it's good to be back with you again. It's been a while. Yeah, and uh, as as we spoke offline, you're in high demand here with COVID for sure, being one of the experts in the country on infection control. Uh, you've done so much on it for the dental community. We really appreciate your input. Um, it's just been invaluable having your insight on all different outlets, all different outlets, including Viva Learning, of course. So as president of Compliance Training Partners, which is your company, you really do, Carson, have your finger on the pulse of thousands of dental offices with which you work across the United States. So right now, during the pandemic period, what are their biggest concerns? You know, they've got a lot of concerns right now. And of course, one of the biggest concerns is, I think, paying the bills. Uh, the other concern is um, getting PPE and also um, how to properly uh, protect their staff. There's a lot of rumors, a lot of stories out there about things like, I don't need N95s. I do need N95s. So, so a lot of confusion. That's what we're trying to eliminate. You know, there seems to be a little bit of a discrepancy between what the American Dental Association is recommending with N95s. And it has to do with fit testing, fit kits, uh, fit testing kits. They're not fully available for everybody. And I believe OSHA is saying that you do need to be fit tested. And ADA is saying, well, if you don't have fit testing kit, you know, it's okay just to move forward. What's the latest on that? Well, although I am a proud ADA member, I'm going to tell you that, that I would not practice dentistry using an N95 respirator without having a written respiratory protection plan, because OSHA says that's required as well as a fit test, as well as a medical evaluation. Now, the medical evaluation can be done online. 3M is a great resource. Fit testing, you can either order the product yourself and do it yourself, or you can call a local local occupational medicine clinic. They'll be able to do it for you. But I can show you, Phil, that there have been citations issued by OSHA for in a dental office for not having a fit test not having a written respiratory protection plan. Could you go over what a fit test is for our audience real briefly? Well, basically, here's what a fit test is. Uh, A mask, which we've all worn for years, is really, when you think about it, it's designed to protect the patient. Yes, it provides some protection to us, but the difference is a true respirator, which an N95 is, that's designed to protect the operator, to protect us. Why? Because it seals tightly to the face. Now, how do you know if it's sealing tightly to the face unless you do a fit test? So a fit test is really nothing more than this. Imagine putting on your N95 respirator, putting a hood over your head that's sealed at the shoulders, then introducing into that hood uh, something that has a smell. Typically, it's something that's sweet or what we tend to use is something called Bitrex. So 
basically you're introducing certain amounts of it and you're saying to the person in that hood, can you smell it? No. Can you smell it? No. Trying to determine if you're getting a good seal. So that hood and that um, material that, that actually gives off that scent comes in one system, one kit? It does. And what you'd be looking for, you'd want to ask for a qualitative fit test. Now there's qualitative and quantitative, but what you want is a qualitative fit test to test your N95 respirator. And okay, so where do you buy that? And if you're looking for it and it's not available, you did mention that there's a local OSHA, uh, what was the thing you talked about, about the local OSHA office that could, do they actually come on site to do this fit test or you also, or you buy it from them? If you can just elaborate on that. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm a real fan of having a relationship with a local occupational medicine clinic. The reason I say that is, you know, on the OSHA end, you're going to need TB baseline tests. You're going to need, when you get a new employee, hepatitis B immunization. If your hygienist sticks herself with a scaler, you're going to need some place to go for post-exposure. So form a relationship with an occupational medicine clinic. For, for one thing, they know how to bill your workers' comp insurance. Um, that's important. Secondly, they know how to do the proper testing. And one of the things that they can normally do is either do the fit testing for you or recommend a local place that can do it. So in light of uh, the shortage of fit tests and a doctor has N95 masks and the staff has N95 masks, what do you suggest? Well, I will tell you that, uh, first of all, go online. There are a lot of safety supply distributors where you can purchase these fit tests. But here, here's the thing, you know, we own a business. Um, there's tremendous liability, in my opinion, if you're out there using things not the way they were intended. And when OSHA says you need to do a fit test, you need to use an N95, of course, to do an air quote, an aerosol generating procedure. And you're not doing those things. You're out there twisting in the wind legally. And, and, and I can't advise any of my colleagues to do that. Let's talk about disinfecting wipes. Now, we know there's a shortage of that. Any suggestions on how practitioners can better deal with this and still feel safe with, with their surfaces and, and disinfecting their equipment? You know, I'm really glad you asked that, Phil, because that is a question our technical team at Compliance Training Partners is getting every week, sometimes every day. I can't get wipes. What can I do? As I understand it, the real problem is not the shortage of the disinfectant. It's the substrate that they make the wipes with. So, so there's a couple ways you can save wipes, save the use of wipes, and, and keep your practice open. First of all, most of our wipes are approved as cleaner slash disinfectant. And as you know, typically you have to clean the surface first with one wipe, then you wipe it with a new wipe to have the contact time of the disinfectant. Well, I can tell you how to cut your usage in half. First of all, use what I call a green cleaner, literally soap and water in a spray bottle, to do step one. So clean with soap and water. Now you only need one wipe. Right there, you've cut down your usage 50%. So with the shortage of disinfection wipes that, that's going on out there, tell us about using bleach uh, diluted with water in an industrial spray bottle. You know, absolutely you could. And when it comes to dilution, of course, it depends on what concentration of bleach you're working with. Here's what I would suggest. Go to the CloroxPro.com website. They've got some wonderful tables, some wonderful instructions on just how to do that. In fact, the Clorox people told me, they said, 
you know, I never thought we would actually want people to buy less of our product, but we want to show them how to use our product properly to make it go further. So definitely go to the website. They'll help you out quite a bit. Okay. So there is some dilution factor that you there can is. mix with water and just the water and the bleach itself will do the trick, right? I mean, doesn't that kill viruses and kill TB and bacteria as well as anything? It's more destructive to the fabric of a dental chair, I assume. And that's probably the issue, right? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. There, therein lies the problem. Uh, bleach, as we all know, is a wonderful disinfectant. The problem is it's very hard on surfaces, on certain surfaces, that is. That's why if you get it at the proper dilution, it can be good on certain hard surfaces. But it's very tough on metal, for example. Um, one thing you might want to consider, barrier products. Again, how, how can I use less disinfectant? Um, how, how can I do it? Well, obviously, you, you, you only use one wipe instead of two. But what about this? What, what about using, for example, a chair cover? What about using light handle covers, three-way syringe covers? So, so to me, a combination of using cleaners for step one, using barrier products, I think you're going to be able to dramatically decrease your usage. And again, look at that website so you can maybe save your valuable wipes for the delicate equipment, use diluted bleach on the areas you're not going to cause harm. We hear a lot about HEPA air filtration machines, right? And, and there's machines being sold to the dental practitioners in the operatory. Can you give us some insight about HEPA air filtration machines, powerful vacuum systems that are normally placed over the patient during the treatment? What's your advice on this? And is it something you really recommend or is it something that is just a nice to have? You know, my answer for that is... Um... Uh, is this. A lot of it depends on your office, the size of your office, whether you have opening windows, whether you don't. First of all, I think that let's call them clean air machines, if you will, are a good thing. They're basically portable HEPA filtration devices um, that you can set up in different locations in your office to purify the air. Also, we have, I call them the uh, elephant snout, those vacuum machines that go over the patient um, that, that really uh, remove a lot of the aerosols. But here's my feeling. I mean, I, I, I guess my really claim to fame and in infection control is I'm a practicing dentist. I'm a practical guy. We've still got to make a living. And I don't want to see you have 10 clean air machines at $5,000 a piece that you put on eBay for 50 bucks in two years. So, so how can you make it simple? First of all, if you have opening windows, do what I do. Buy small vent fans from Costco, point them outside. Literally, it sounds counterintuitive. Don't bring the fresh air in, point the fan outside. So you're creating almost somewhat of a negative air pressure in that operatory. And I'll give you an example, Phil. If you look in my office, I follow what OSHA calls directional airflow guidelines. We open a window on one end of the office. That allows fresh air to come in. We then have a series of small fans blowing it down the hallway from the operatories to exhaust out another window. As OSHA says, have the air in direction, going in directions away from staff areas, away from kitchens, not the opposite. So I think for probably about $100 worth of fans, I solved my issue. Now, if I had a practice in Midtown Manhattan, I had no opening windows, it was very small, poor ventilation. Would I consider a couple of clean air machines? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so one size doesn't fit all. 
No, absolutely. That, that's a good point. Opening windows is a nice thing to have, but those are obviously going to be in the older offices. Um, yeah, I have seen some interesting machines that sit at the on the floor. The doctor's practicing, and uh, this machine processes the air, and it kills just about everything. It has filters in there, and it kills viruses, and whatever's coming down the pike from that patient's aerosol that's brought through there is pretty much disabled. You know, the machine is in the, I'm sure is in the thousands of dollars. Now, you mentioned something about eBay. You know, there are people saying that, you know, this is not, unfortunately, and as scary as this sounds, the whole thing about pandemics, which we once considered was something that happened once a century, is going to happen more frequently. And I think the new norm for some of these dental offices is not going to be back to business as usual like we did before COVID, you know, once the vaccine clears everything up and this thing is under control. I actually think that we have to run our practices as if another pandemic could come down the pike. What's your thought on that? I absolutely agree with you. Obviously, things are going to be a lot easier in six months or a year from now, but I don't think we'll ever go back to the way it was. For example, take in my office, we're much more aware of fresh air flow and, and, and flow of air, again, as I described, away from staff areas. I believe we'll always use directional airflow. Um, filtration of air. I think that's a great idea. To give you an example of something else that's inexpensive we've done, Phil. We had the Heating and Cooling Pro come out. For a very reasonable cost, sometimes you can increase the size of your blower. So now your, your heating and cooling system is blowing more air. Instead of maybe doing six turns of air an hour, you're doing 10 turns. Also, you can put a HEPA filter on your heating and cooling system. You can turn your fan to on instead of auto during working hours. So these things, I think those are going to continue long term, uh, as are things like uh, checking for respiratory disease, um, you know, taking temperatures. I, I think those are all going to stick with us. So it sounds like the aerosol issue is really the big risk, right? And, th and this is the same thing back in 1918. The viral component sits in the air for extended periods of time, and that's just where the problem is. And the masks, of course, help, but being in the dental profession, the aerosols are inevitable. And that's why what you're saying makes total sense, this increased airflow in the correct direction away from the patient, away from the team members, and hopefully out the window if you have one is ideal. Now, could you talk to us about, in general, masks versus cloth face coverings? We already talked about N95s, and I do want to ask you more about N95s after you address this, as far as you know, the N95 for the actual dentist versus the N95 for the assistant, you know, who's to wear the N95s if the fit test was available and the N95 was available. But before that, if we can get to the difference between the typical masks that are provided surgically, uh, exam masks, et cetera, and a cloth covering that we see in the grocery store. Well, I'd be glad to address that because, again, I'm glad you asked the question because this is another way to preserve valuable PPE at least until the supply chain catches up with us. Now, first of all, a mask, a surgical mask that we're all used to using, that's rated by an organization called ASTM International, and they base it on a number of different criteria, filtration rate, flammability factor, et cetera, uh, fluid resistance. Now, now, I suggest in a dental office that you use a level two or a three. A level two filters out 98% has moderate fluid resistance. A level three filters out 98%, has high fluid resistance. But 
Those are valuable. Those are more expensive. As long as you're not doing a clinical procedure, you can use a cloth face covering. So let me give you an example. In a typical office like ours, all of our front desk people, they wear cloth face coverings. They're not doing clinical procedures. Uh, staff walking around the office not doing procedures, including doctors, they can wear a cloth face covering. So, so try to preserve those face masks. Um, the only thing you have to keep in mind is they do need to be laundered daily. Okay, so a typical time period for having a cloth face mask is, is one one day at work? Laundry? One day, and then it needs to be laundered. Okay. But, and, uh, you know, it might be typical, for example, for our hygienist to go into a room, to greet a patient if there's just some, some talking to do, um, take off their cloth face covering, then put on a mask for the procedure. Um, again, anything we can do to preserve the valuable um, surgical-grade face masks. There have been some reports of unannounced OSHA inspections. Um, I'm sure you've heard about this, especially with your company training that you give your, your dentists through compliance training partners, which, by the way, congratulations on the success of that company. It's been around for years. It has a great reputation. And if anybody's interested in learning more about it, I'm sure you can Google it, compliance training partners. Is that the keywords? Compliance training partners dot com. Yes. Yeah. So um, what are you seeing as far as unannounced OSHA inspections? Because we are hearing more about that. And that's a big deal for a dental practice. If somebody's knocking on the door and saying, guess what? <laughs> I'm with OSHA. We're here to take a look. And do they have the right to come in at any time and do that inspection? Well, you know, first of all, that's definitely not a rumor. OSHA has announced that during the COVID-19 pandemic period, they will be doing more inspections. But you know what? They have their hands full, and that is because employees are calling anonymously, which they can do by law, and requesting OSHA inspections. So I tell doctors, I tell my colleagues, protect your business do the things that we're supposed to do. You'd mentioned the webpage. Go to our webpage, click on the COVID-19 Learn More button. You, you need to be doing those things to protect your business because these things can be weaponized. Uh, more inspections, fines, uh, this is not good for a business. Social media picks it up. And have I seen more inspections related to COVID? Absolutely. I've been involved with a number of them. What are the two main things or three main things that you absolutely have to have in place when you have an OSHA inspector come in? What are, what are the first three things they're looking for? Okay. First thing they're going to do, let's see your training records. They want to see documented annual training. Second thing, let's see your manual. And in it, we want to see um, an exposure control plan for bloodborne pathogens and a written has a communication plan for safety with chemicals and products. Th those are things that in every OSHA inspection I see them look for, and you, you need to have them. And regarding N95s? Regarding N95s, if you're doing an aerosol-generating procedure, and, and you know, I, I hate to give my colleagues bad news because I know it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to deal with the fit test and, and the medical evaluations and everything, but if you're doing an aerosol generating procedure, which would be defined as running a high speed, a low speed, an ultrasonic, or using the three-way syringe, you need to be using an N95 for those procedures. And that's something that they're going to insist on. If an office doesn't have N95s because they're not available, is that office at risk of being closed down or on probation? Absolutely, they are, because guidance from OSHA would say if you don't have enough PPE, 
you need to prioritize treatment. You need to treat just urgencies and emergencies. And, and I'll give you an example of my office, Phil. Even though I'm pretty well connected to fine N95s, if we used N95s for every procedure, we'd be in trouble. So take our hygiene department. We've got three hygienists going. We decided last June, when the office opened again after uh, the COVID closure, we were going to do a aerosol-free hygiene visit. How do we do that? No more ultrasonic scaling. No more rotary polishing. Our hygienists polish the teeth with gauze, profi paste on the gauze. Um, no three-way syringe. In other words, what the patient would do was they'd simply uh, uh, give it, be given a cup of water, rinse around, spit into the cup, the hygienist dumps it out. Just by doing that, think, eight patients a day, three hygienists, that's 75 and 95s we save a day. In all this time, we've had one patient complain about it. If mm -hmm. you explain it to your patients that this isn't going to last forever, that you're doing it to protect everybody, they'll understand. And as far as reusing N95s, what's your thoughts on that? You know, again, my, my duty to my colleagues is to protect their business from liability. When you've got an N95, you've got something that's a single-use item. And to go and, and you know, we'll have doctors call us and say, look, um, I've heard that I can put it in a microwave. No. I've heard that I can put it in a paper bag for a week and reuse it. That's That's not true. I've heard that I can cover it with a surgical mask, and then I can reuse the N95. Again, all of the above are what I call off-label use, and nobody's going to support you if you get caught doing that. What they're going to say is, why didn't you prioritize urgencies and emergencies? Why are you doing elective treatment unless you have proper PPE? So, so guys and gals, if you're doing that, you're out there twisting in the wind legally. Right. And this is really great information, Dr. Carpenter, because you certainly want to know what to say to uh, an OSHA inspector uh, when they come into your office. And um, you mentioned the two or three key things that they're going to look at, but any discussion with that inspector that would allude to the fact that you're doing these things that you just said are putting the practice at risk is something you need to know. So that's why we do these podcasts. And that's why we hope our audience appreciates the input that you're providing us today. Well, I think you covered it very well, Dr. Carpenter. We really appreciate the conversation. We've had you on before. It's always been useful. Everything you've been telling us is genuine and through your experience and through your um, just the work that you do with your dentist. You learn a lot from them, I assume, uh, what's going on as you teach. That's how it works. Um, you know, I do. I learn as much from them as they do from me. We We probably get 50 calls a day from my colleagues with questions about compliance. And, you know, you learn a lot from OSHA inspections, too. And one thing I would kind of like to say as we start to close, I don't want you to think I'm trying to scare everybody about OSHA. I actually find OSHA to be very fair. When they come in and do an inspection, if you're doing the things we're talking about, written manuals, training, they're actually very reasonable. That's been my experience. Okay, that's good. That That is somewhat comforting as we wrap up this podcast. It is, isn't <laughs> it? And on a happy note. So, yeah, very good stuff. We expect you to be on more podcasts coming up. And um, again, you can always find Dr. Carpenter and what he's doing at his training program called Compliance Training Partners. And we thank Clorox for sponsoring this podcast. And Clor Clorox has more products than just wipes and uh, bleach, right, Dr. Carpenter? There's other things they offer in the professional environment. 
They do. They offer a wide variety of products I think you're going to find helpful. We've we've used their products for years, alcohol hand rubs, uh, disinfecting soaps. But again, go to that CloroxPro.com website, and I think you'll like what you see. Yeah, and Clorox is a great company. They're such a supporter of continuing education, which is so important. Um, they see the value of educating the dental community, and they value your, your attendance to, to their events. They really do. Thanks again, Dr. Carpenter, and hope to see you soon. Thank you, Phil. Great to see you, too.